Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a Believe Podcast. I'm your host, John Hoysenstam. This is the Guitar Life. My special guest today, very talented guitarist and workhorse, I might add, thousands of students, Mark Seal. Mark Seal. We're going to chat with him today. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Mark, welcome to The Guitar Life. I'm real uh, glad that you decided to share your time with us today. We met, I think in 95, we were doing a project together for uh, videoguitarlessons.com. But uh, I might have met you before then uh, through Vernon Porter. Um, Yep. Do you remember any of that? <laughs> I do. It's funny because I, you know, I, I honestly completely forgot about the the first one you mentioned uh, when we did that, did the uh, the in stores at guitar centers and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, for Vernon, when I remember I came out to see Vernon play at the Studio Cafe Newport Beach, okay. and I remember coming out and I hadn't seen you play before, and it was so fun because. You know, you're, you're doing your thing, and I didn't expect your thing to take you out into the middle of the street and stop traffic <laughs> laying down on the, the concrete with cars, you know, looking yeah. on. You were tearing up. That was so fun. I thought, gosh, this guy is freaking brazen. Yeah, uh, I, I have a lot, lot of, of fun. Yeah, thanks. It's, it yeah. is fun. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good show. Good show and great playing. You know, and gosh, what a band you had as well. I yeah, was, no, I had a lot Mario, of good lineups. Was Mario playing drums for you? Yeah, for when, that? Vernon, when Vernon was the bass player, usually it was Mario on drums. Mario Rossi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was, good stuff. Man. He's doing some fantastic uh, production stuff. Uh, I see on Facebook and YouTube a lot. Uh, he's amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's doing. He's doing. A ton. I ran into him. <laughs> Funny story. I ran into him. I was with my daughter at uh, Omar's Exotic Birds, and he was in there. I guess he's a bird guy. So he, well, he was picking parrots up a new bird. Yeah, all and kinds of cans and all that stuff, huh? Yeah, it was pretty funny. So we chatted it up for a little bit and it sounded like he was doing real well. He he and Vernon had both played on um I know he played on at least one of my records, maybe two. Uh, mm-hmm. Vernon played on two for sure. I can't remember. I think Tony Pia did the other one, but yeah. Speaking of uh, which, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about your uh, recorded music that's available to the public. I wanna direct them towards that a bit later in the uh interview, but uh where'd you get your first inspiration from? What uh what got you into the guitar? Was there an uncle? Were there some relatives? You know, what made yeah, you want to be a guitar player? You know, I started playing guitar. My my uncle played a little bit. My grandfather played um, on my dad's side, but my dad was actually a professional musician. He was a country artist. Okay. And he, he was pretty decent at rhythm guitar, good singer. He had recorded an album in the early 70s, and he had a little bit of success with that. 
So we used to go, my brother and I, we would go and watch my dad play. And we were kids. It was a different era. But my parents were divorced, so I'd go with my dad on the weekends, and he'd take us to, to bars, full-on honky-tonk bars in Southern California. And we'd be watching him play, you know, until I fell asleep in the chairs and get dragged out of there at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, so I was around music and that whole thing for a long time. But, you know, being from Southern California and Newport Beach, particularly Colonel Mar was not into country at all. You know, I, I had to go do my own thing and I couldn't sing at all. You weren't supposed to say that during the interview, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but no. uh, did he ever take you out to like uh, Bakersfield or Fresno for any shows out there ever? Do yeah, we, we went to a few different places. Yeah, I can't remember all the places, but he he opened up for a lot of people. He opened up for Eddie Rabbit and Jerry Lee Lewis and some bigger names. And so we went to some of these bigger events and a lot of them were outdoors, sure. I remember. And it was, you know, I was a little kid seeing my dad up on the stage in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people yeah. um, had had quite the, made quite the impression. You know, you know, those people in the, uh, in the Midwest, they make fun of people from California, but ha ha, some of the greatest country music came from California. You know, from Bakersfield and Fresno, so like Buck Owens and and, and a lot of other guys. But uh, it, yeah, we have a lot to be proud of out here as far as country music is concerned. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because it's probably Earl my favorite. Yeah, it's probably my favorite kind of music now. You know, as I've gotten older, you know, my dad passed away a few years back, and I'm over sorry. the last ten years, yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where. I, I really, it came back, you know, I was, you know, a young uh -oh. rebellious kid. I was all into, you know, I went up to GIT and LA yeah. and I was around the kind of the metal scene and the, the Jane's addictions and guns and roses were all playing up there at the time. And so it was a whole different thing. That was not country music. Yeah. Right. But as I've gotten older, man, the, I mean, some of the best guitar players hands down are country players. I, I look at the, like any know, art, Fred you Mason's know, a guy spends his whole life playing a certain art form. It's going to develop into a sophisticated, uh, <laughs> technically, you know, awesome kind of, you know, art, you know, it's like virtuosity in country music. There's lots of those kind of musicians out there. Yeah. yeah Wonderful especially, players. especially with the whole Nashville thing taking off like it did over the last 10, 15 There's an years. industry that can support it, right? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Okay. So, so your dad, uh, your dad, your dad really exposed you. <laughs> so your dad got you into to playing music and then you developed into a, uh, a guitarist who got interested in being a professional and going to school to MIT, you know, you went to Musicians Institute, which is an incredible place to be around all those. Wasn't it uh, Howard Roberts that started that originally? Yeah, Howard yeah. Robert, Pat Hicks. You know, we had Tommy Tedesco was there when I was there. I got to meet him. He's one of the most recorded, if not the most recorded guitar player in history. Right. And uh, gosh, we had Paul Gilbert was there at the time, and there was just a lot of great a guy, a country guy that was there. Gosh, what was his name? Really great country guy that I watched him for the first time. Also, going wow, okay, there's a lot more to it. I couldn't do it; wasn't yeah. interested. But I watched him and had my mind blown. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was there was a handful of really great players. I'll try to do some research and find out who some of the uh, country guys that might have gone through their teaching because uh, there are some really great people that uh you know though everybody should know about so uh, we should talk about those on the show more okay yeah. so so here we are we're going through high school what about your high school uh, uh you know period there where you're were you into the guitar when you were in high school you're playing in bands did you get did you get yep. going by that time yeah i started when i got my you know really into i got my first guitar at age 11 didn't do much with it age 13 rolls around and i have a friend of mine that starts wanting to play bass we start playing together in eighth grade there you go <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'd been playing sports up to that point. I played football a couple of years at baseball before that. And 
went off to high school and you started seeing some of my friends' bands playing at lunch. So I went and played at lunch a, a few times during my high school. Terrifying experience playing in front of your peers on the, yeah, in the oh, quad at lunch. And, you know, that was, that was pretty crazy. And, and we weren't very good. <laughs> but, you know, we went out and played, uh, did lunch, uh, just a lot, of, a lot of cool gigs. We played some house parties, obviously. And it wasn't even about the music, if I'm honest. I, mean, I liked music, of course, and I dig Doug playing. But I liked the challenge of playing guitar at the time, and I liked the vibe of what the guitar was. Yeah. I had some friends that played. And as I started to actually get better at it, where I could do some things, uh, it was just became something I absolutely fell in love with. So by the time I got out of high school, you know, we we again played parties in high school and stuff. Uh, got out of high school, went to Orange Coast College, took a recording class and a business class there, and just was so not into the business class but did well in the recording class that after the first semester, I told my mom, I found out about uh, MI, said, you know, I really want to go to this school. If you put me through it, I'll never ask you for another penny, you know, when I get out. <laughs> what you know, a thinking, son. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I went up and, and did that thing, got into a band. We got signed uh, to a management deal, went and did our first album while I was at GIT. And it was like a very K-Rock, very... Not new way, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't what Jane's Addiction and Poison and Motley Crue and all those bands were doing that were playing in L.A. At you the guys time. weren't we were, as risky as those guys, in other words. Nah, we were just a little behind them, I would have guessed. Yeah, we were still doing the K Rock 1985 thing, not the 1988, you know, whatever thing was coming down the pike. The, the glam Smashing rock, pumpkins and the and the works, huh? Yeah, it was getting more alternative, and so, but we did this. You know, did this fun album. Went out to Nashville, spent ten days out there, recorded my first album in a real studio with a real producer and the whole thing. That was a lot of fun. Uh, came back, not a whole lot of success. So the band kind of fell apart. Uh, a lot of personality differences and, and direction differences. I was, I think myself and the bass player were a little more serious about the musicality part of it. The singer and the drummer were more into the show part of it, and mm -hmm. so we kind of parted ways. And uh, from there, got out of music college, went down to move back to the beach after growing up in CDM and then going to uh, L.A. for a couple of years. Went back, moved down to San Clemente and uh, started teaching. And that was really kind of the beginning of a lot of things to You've come. You've managed because... to teach a lot. You've managed to teach. We're going to talk about that. Oh. And you managed to uh, keep your uh, performance uh, interests going. You kind of you kind of like uh, were able to balance you know, those two lifestyles, which a lot of professional musicians don't uh, do not do. But since you're, you're a, a family man, you got married and you had kids, you needed a steady income and, and teaching can be, uh, you know, a source of a steady income. But at the same time, you got to want to do it or people won't come and take lessons from you. So That's so I, I've read uh, some of the testimonials and, uh, you know, a lot of your students really uh, are grateful that you were their teacher because you're so good at it. So, uh so talk about that, uh, you know, and I've looked at your profile online. You really uh, have a great presentation. Can you talk about how you kind of put together your whole uh, teaching profile a, a bit? Yeah, yeah. you know, it started out, I was probably a very not great teacher by a long, long shot because I taught what I was taught without giving much thought to it. You know, it was like, okay, I was taught this, so I must need to know this. And what ended up happening is I built up a pretty good, you know, here's what really happened. Okay, long and short of it. I, I get out of music college. I come down to San Clemente. I'm, I'm delivering blueprints at Coastal Blue right by the guitar shop, you know, and uh, <laughs> getting up at six o'clock every morning and trying to figure out what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, I can teach. I want to teach. I, you know, I, I thought it'd be a cool gig. So I started you know, hitting up music stores and I, I get a teaching gig at Mission Music in, in Laguna Niguel. 
But the thing was, they had a couple of older teachers there, great players, great experience, everything. But I came out of GIT and I'm playing, you know, my single biggest influence as a kid, three really, would have been uh, Van Halen, number one. I'd say David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, uh, Alex Lifeson from Rush, Jimmy Page, and, and Jimmy Hendrix. Technical players. Yeah, and, and a little bit of both. I mean, I, Highly I thought developed. Gilmore, yeah, yeah, well, Gilmore, Gilmore, Hendrix, and Page gave me riffs and gave me a little bit more feeling than I might have had otherwise. And then, you know, Alex Lifeson and Van Halen, I just learned all the technique I could. I wanted to tap and do harmonics and artificial harmonics and, you know, high gain stuff and whammy bar stuff and 24 frets or whatever. I went to that technical phase for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I came out, I remember the very first lesson I ever taught. I taught this kid. I still remember his name. His name was Matt. And uh, he comes in. He was a kid from, I think he was from Laguna Beach area. And he just really wanted to play hot for teacher. And at the time there wasn't a transcription that was readily available. The internet wasn't a thing. And I could play it note for note. Cause I shedded that thing like crazy trying to figure it out. So I taught him hot for teacher in his first lesson. And, and within three months I had like 40 students. It was all of his buddies and word kind of got out. There's this guy that teaches <laughs> Van Halen and that's seriously how it all started. Oh, um, wow, that's but, great. And so then I would try to teach them. I'd be like, come up with the GIT thing. Like, oh, okay, you need to learn, you need to learn flat five substitutions. I'm <laughs> like, what am I doing? Yeah. And so what ended up happening is, is a lot of stuff I learned at GIT. I kind of kept the stuff that was valuable and useful. And a lot of that stuff I shed, I wasn't going to be a jazz guy. That wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. And it's and, you know, beyond my abilities. So I just, okay, well, I don't need to teach that to a, a 14 year old kid that wants to play ACDC, you know? And, and so then I, I really, at one point, I don't know when it was, but I sat down and said, okay, one, I like doing this. I love the excitement. I have a passion for the instrument. I really did enjoy watching the kids do well. I, I didn't like being a babysitter and when the kids that would come in that weren't doing, doing it right. They but weren't practicing, yeah. Yeah, that was always dry. You, I mean, you know that, that drill. Yeah, but no, aside horrible. from that, the ones that wanted to do it, I was so excited and I didn't hold anything back from them. I, I remember, and this is a, a quick story. I remember there was a guy that, that I worked with at one time that he was playing Life in the Fast Lane by by uh, the Eagles. I, I didn't know the riff and he, and he had his back to me. I'm like, he's playing, so, you know, playing the riff. I'm all, dude, that's awesome. I'd love to learn that. How do you do that? And he turns around, he's like, oh, you know, I don't really know what I was doing. And he wouldn't teach it to me. He like, didn't want me to have yeah. his, his secret life in the fast. And I remember at that moment, I'm like, I will never do that. I'll never be that guy. Anything I can pass on, I will. My and dad, I think that's what the student My thought. dad used to, to say, uh, when you empty yourself, it makes room for the next new idea. So wow, that's you, brilliant. You start, you start channeling uh, more and more and more creativity, more and more ideas, more and more uh, stuff flows through you if you're willing to give what it is that you're, you know, that you already have, because you're making Gosh. space, you're making space for more create bigger and better, you know, how could I yeah. get better than this? I'm never going to show that person how to do this, because that way he might get better. You got to drop that and yeah. just open yourself up and just share everything. And all of a sudden, you're doing stuff that you never thought you could do because you've made room for it, you know? Gosh, that's I, seriously, John. I love that. I've never thought about it like that. I've <laughs> oh, thought about that in, in the faith. You know, we talk about emptying ourselves out in the faith. You know, going out and giving to other people. Yeah, um, and it makes room more for for God to do more works in your life. Yeah. That that is really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that with you me. You become that's a better cool. and better teacher, a better and better musician. Yeah. You become a better and better person. You know, you, yeah. you 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 have more stuff happening around you. You just, just by letting it happen. You know, by giving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you've always been that guy. I mean, anytime I've ever asked you, you've always been really gracious with me and shared a lot with me. You're a brilliant player, obviously, and you know, I've, I've definitely I, I read your book years ago and learned a bunch of the riffs out of there. And oh, really? great Which book. book? In fact, the the picking one, the guitar, exercise, whatever guitar workout uh, book. 
Yes. And everybody that is listening to this, if they don't have a copy, should have a copy of that book <laughs> for themselves, well, but not just for themselves to pass them. For that yeah, book. it's an incredible book, man. Yeah, I mean, thanks. really, really great stuff. And I think, you know, people really should check that book out. That's thanks for that. 20 years that. ago. Yeah, yeah. that, that uh, 2010 that came out. So about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah it was great. Fantastic and still still very relevant. Yeah, no, it's it's a kind of universal technique book for uh, anybody who wants to be more technical with a pick. So yeah. so uh, you turn this uh, teaching thing into uh, into a video, uh, you know, a, a video uh I don't know what you want to call it, but you've done uh, hundreds upon hundreds of uh, instructional videos now. You're all yeah. over YouTube. You're all over, uh, and and I might add, you've attracted some uh, sponsors that really want to get their, uh, you know, get their uh, products uh, visible to the public because you're in the public eye now. So you, you've you got a tailor uh, sponsorship. Can you talk a little bit about that? How those things kind of come about? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everything started in 1999, right? I'd done several of my own instrumental instrumental records. And That's I was 20 years doing... now, by the way. I know, dude. That's freaking <laughs> me out. Don't even say that. So, you know, I started doing this. And this is well before, you know, had I known what YouTube was going to be, dude, I would be a freaking billionaire right now because I just had no idea. But, you know, we were doing this show. I got a call from a friend of mine, a former student that was doing a tech company that was trying to do kind of what we're doing, Zoom, right here. It was kind of a go-to-meeting type yeah. thing. But it was one-way video, but chat, right? And so I got a call to do this this show to demo the software called Guitar Mania. They said, we want you to do the show. We're going to call it Guitar Mania. Come on for an hour a week. I've heard of that. we're just going to broadcast it. I yeah, well, that's that. what started somewhere, all this somewhere stuff. Somewhere I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, it started the whole thing because we started doing that. It started out with two people watching it. I did literally 120 episodes, one hour every week for two years on Friday afternoons. By the time it was done, there was 40,000 people around. I think it was like 30 or 40 different countries and this is in the early ages of the internet as far as streaming went. Yeah. So it was like a big deal. And, and the show literally shut, kind of shut the company down because bandwidth was so expensive and it was just, you know, people were hungry for it. Seal playing a bit of soulful guitar there, Mark. I'm John Hoisenstam. This is the Guitar Life. This is a Believe podcast. Hope you're enjoying our show. If you are, please subscribe. So I went from that to where actually I met you with that company that did the uh, they, they approached me about doing the video guitar lessons. So we did those things. 
And then uh, Guitar Mania went under because of the bandwidth issue. Like I said, started working with Guitar Center. I, I did the virtual hosting of their page for a while where I would just welcome people to the site and do a few lessons there. But then the really neat thing happened is I met this guy who was a student who said, you know, we've we got to do something with this. He became my manager and we went after getting a TV show. And so we put together a treatment. We we finagled. I mean, it's really a good story. The I'll ultimate really guitar a, show, right? The ultimate guitar show. Yeah. So we went to we went to Cox Communication and, and said, hey, look, we want to do this TV show. We had a full treatment, everything, had a meeting with them. And like, this is a great we're going to put on the top of the pile. And if you, uh, you know. If we'll look at, it, but we're, we technically we can't do it unless you can you know you can do it on your own. But we'll put it at the top of the pile. It's the best treatment we've seen. True story. So we're like, oh, so so I said, well, look, if if we had a show, would you air it? We, you know, if we can go make the show, we probably work and we air it. So you go absolutely. If it's if it's to what this says, is that Eric Winter? That was the producer? yeah Eric Winter and Gordon uh, Gordon Spencer and. Bridget, some other, one of the women. So it was the three of them were kind of running that station at the time. Yeah, because Eric Winter is a huge uh, advocate for uh, guitar and music. Yeah. yeah, he's a great guy. Ran, man. I ran, love that guy. He ran the uh, Saddleback, uh, you know, uh, closed circuit TV uh, station they had there, and of course he was all about trying to promote, you know, video for uh, local bands and uh, entertainment. Right. So, I mean, I'm just putting two and two together here wow. in my. In the, recesses of my mic and see how he yeah. would uh, be into what you're talking about. Excuse me for uh, interrupting. No, that's yeah. that's correct. I didn't know you knew those guys, but those guys were so generous and kind to us. You know, so all I do, you know, and this is my this is my manager's idea. All this stuff. He was a very bright guy. Very is a very bright guy. He says uh, he goes well. Look, if if you you guys will commit, if we make this show, you'll air it. And they're like, absolutely, okay. So then we went to. Um, San Diego, and we had a friend of ours that had a TV studio that, that knew the education down there. Right. So we told San Diego County of Education, hey, look, we want to do this TV show. Cox will air it. And so they're like, well, you know, if, if we shoot, they'll air it. And and they were in, on Cox down there in San Diego. So they said, they said, yeah, we'll shoot it, but it's going to cost you, you know, we just have to pay the interns. It's going to be, I can't remember, $500 or $1,000 an episode or whatever it was. So I said, okay, okay, great. So I said, we'll, we'll get back to you. So then we went to GIT. Went to MI. I said, "Look, you know, we're about to make a bunch of new potential customers for you guys. We have we have the ability to make the shows down in in uh, San Diego. Cox agrees to air them if you guys will sponsor it. You know, we can go make these shows happen." So they ordered a season of shows, twelve episodes. Okay. MI paid for it. Cox aired it. San Diego County Office of Education filmed it. Taylor sponsored it, and that was kind of how the whole thing started. Isn't and it was just kind of networking. Kind of <laughs> It was ne- it was networking, but we were, it was kind of like that thing where you tell somebody, and it was true. We never lied, never did anything unethical. But hey, we can do this show if you guys they're in, if oh, you're in, just they're in, if you're in. And uh, at, long, at the end of the day, it, it all came together. I remember walking out that uh, Keith Wyatt, uh, the guitar player for the Blasters, out at GIT, just such a cool guy. But I remember they gave us a fat check to go make twelve episodes of the Ultimate Guitar Show. I'm like. Let's go. So I went from playing all the time to, to all of a sudden now I'm just trying to be a You became a TV an host. online instructor. You became a video instructor, a professional, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that had uh, a crew around him and a great presentation with camera, lights, uh, sound. You had the material. You know, you, no. you knew what to show people because you'd done a lot of teaching, right? So you were. Well, I'd done a lot of the videos early. I think where I got, where I really cut my teeth was on those videos for Guitar Mania, man. An hour improvised yeah. every week with three cameras on you was terrifying i used to freak out going into that studio the well, first i got 20 those episodes. kind of stories i could I, i'll give you a good one if you want to listen 
But sure. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, uh, you know, uh, Hal Leonard wanted me to do uh, some instructional videos, right? And they flew me to Milwaukee, right? I spent three months organizing all the material, you know, you know, memorizing the riffs that I was going to show people how to, I had to play my own stuff, right? So yeah. I got all that material together. But when I walked into the studio in Milwaukee, it was like CBS. It was like, you know, NBC. It was a huge television station. Then there were, you know, there were, were people upstairs with windows looking down. There was production guys, lights. It was like... I had a wardrobe. It was like being um, on a television special. It was like really scary, you know. Like, it right. took me a couple hours to acclimatize, and once I got it going, uh, you know, then the lesson took over rather than me worrying about my presentation, you know. But man, right. I know exactly what you mean. How uh, intimidating it can be, you know, with cameras. Did you fake it though? Did you act like you weren't nervous? Because I always tried to act like I wasn't nervous. <laughs> oh, I try to play it off like I'm cool. And meanwhile, I'm panicking, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's so funny. I have some things in my mind. I don't know if you call them ego, but things in my mind. You know, I, I, I talk to myself while I'm sitting there. You know, I'm surrounded by professionals. I say to myself, you're better than this, you know. Don't worry yeah. about these little small people over here. You're such, <laughs> you're such a good guitarist. You don't have to, like prove anything to them you know i kind of oh talk gosh, myself. you and i have the exact opposite conversation <laughs> i gotta like, talk myself suck. into it i'm like you suck you don't deserve to be here you're terrible you you're a horrible player all these guys are better than you that's what goes through my mind <laughs> opposite and still does to this day i, I might think. be thinking right. that but that's not what i'm saying to myself right <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to psych myself up in a way that's sort of uh contradictory to the way that i even think as a person you know i like to be yeah one-on-one, -on -one, at one, the same level with everybody around me, working together as a, you know, as a team to get a, some, a job done and, you know, mixing yeah. with people and trying to be humble and all that. But when I'm sitting there talking to myself, you know, I'm yeah, going, okay, like, you got, got this. this. <laughs> this is, you're going to absolutely um, blow these guys away, this. man. You, you, you got to do something. You can't just you sit do. there and get caught in your fears, you know. sounds from Mark Seal. Mark, you're more soulful than you uh, claim to be. 
This is The Guitar Life. I'm John Heusenstam, your host. This is a Believe podcast. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's crazy stuff, man. It's uh, I think, you know, and let, if somebody hasn't been in those experiences when you're in it, especially the first several times, you know, it, there's those things are just intimidating. And you don't I realize a, how a counselor they, they, they feel so big. I had a counselor, uh, you know, I went to a job counselor, you know, for employment. And I started talking about my background. And he said, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people <laughs> that go through that. You know, there's not a lot of people that have had that kind of experience. You know, what was I talking about? Touring in a band, teaching yeah. thousands of students, running music shops, filming yeah. videos, writing books. You know, it's like you got all this experience and you got to turn it into a living somehow, you know. So yeah, and that's so, the challenge with this industry being that, you know, we do jobs that people will do for free. Right. So we're not we're competing with people that will actually be great and do it for free. And the example I, I always think of is like, you know, I could call you and be like, John, dude, we're having some friends over. We just come down and bro me out and play. You know, I'll, I'll throw you a little cash away, but it's not gonna be a ton of money. But just come play. I'll get your food, drinks and maybe not you because you're super pro. But point, you know, a lot of guys I know would just come and play just because I want to come and hang out and have fun, food, beers, whatever. Yeah, but I, I don't have any friends I can call and go, hey, man, my toilet's clogged, you know, as a plumber. Will you come and do that for free? I'll buy you a beer. You know, that just doesn't happen. And that's kind of most <laughs> businesses, right? They're not going to, you know, our business people will do it on the cheap or, you know, or the whole thing about, you know, yeah. thing is, hey, it's on spec, man. You're going to get your big break from someone seeing this, you know. Uh, I've had that argument with club owners before because you look like you were having so much fun, you know. Uh, by the way, uh you know, the uh, secretary took your check. You know, it's like, what, what do you mean the secretary took our check? Yeah, she forgot to, uh, you know, peel it out of the checkbook and, and hand it over to me. It's like, you know, they think you, you don't care whether you get paid or not because you're, you look like you're having so much fun, you know. Yeesh. Mm. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun when we get the check. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's when it all I seems just to kidding. come together, right? No, it's, I mean, it's, it's nice that we can make a living doing this, you know, but it, it is challenging. And it's funny because how many people, John, ask you, I mean, you're, you're an icon around here. How many people ask you, you know, how do you, how do you do it? How do you make a living in music or how, you know, what can I do? How many students want to know your secret and you want to give it to us? Like, gosh, you know, I, I'm afraid just, to even talk about it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's no right? secret. It's luck. Yeah. It's like, it's luck. It's God's right? graces. It's like, I really don't know. Um, you know what I can do better than music since I started it when I was so young, you know, yeah. I just accumulated a lot of information because I started when I was playing very young. So by yeah. the time I got into my 20s and my 30s and 40s and I love music, I was able to like feel like a qualified teacher, you know, because yeah. I had knowledge, you know, I don't know how else to yeah. put it. It wasn't like something that I set out to do. It just it just grew out of its own uh, out of its own uh existence i don't know i don't know how to put it <laughs> well i think at the end of the day it comes down to whatever it is is what it's supposed to be because that's how it, it was ordained that's how it is you know and it's i can't see i look i look in reverse i can't see my life any different you know doing you know after the tv show i did the taylor thing right that started i was did i did 13 14 years with taylor uh doing you know i went to i've been to 48 states do you, do you use an acoustic guitar during your shows 
all the time for Taylor. Yeah, I would do the T5. So I do the electric demo about a 15, 20 minute portion of the show would be playing to a couple of background tracks, kind of doing a little more shred type stuff on a T5 okay. to showcase that it's an electric guitar also. But no, it's all, it's like wine tasting for high end guitars. You know, we go and have a pile of these really nice guitars, pick up different ones, talk about the wood combinations, the body shapes, the tonal characteristics. Sure. You're a salesman you know, at this point. Yeah, I'm, well, yeah, the sales guys are the sales guys, and they're awesome. And they go on, they kind of do more of the talking of that those sales parts. But I'm just kind of playing it and telling dumb stories. It's, it's like this, really. I mean, I literally tell stories. No, you're when the I'm salesman, and those guys collect the money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there those you people, go. Those people aren't convinced until they hear you playing it. You're the one that's closing the deal, and those guys just go out and, you know, collect the money for happen. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever the case is, they do a fantastic no, job. No, I am fun. telling you what the case is. <laughs> Start showing some self-respect, and uh, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so it's... but besides Taylor Guitars, which are a great company, I've met Bob Taylor before. He's a great guy. How Super about cool, Defender yeah. Guitars? Um, yeah, I did. I did that for quite a while. I was my my claim to fame, John. Okay, was, I want to hear it. There was a company that came alongside uh, Fender called Fender Footwear. And I made it on the shoebox, man. I was had a picture of me on uh -oh. the shoebox for Fender Footwear, man. I thought, wow, I have arrived, man. I'm on a shoebox. You, you do know that Miles Davis said that the most exposure he ever got was for doing a Coca-Cola ad. Yeah. He said all the years that he did the jazz and all those different labels, he got more exposure when he did the Coke ad. <laughs> so, you know, I know what you mean. Hey, well, good for you, man. You made it. You yeah, got right? immortalized on a shoe. People are walking oh. on top of you, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, literally and figuratively. So, and Mesa uh, Boogie Amps, what about those guys? Yeah, those guys were cool. That's That was another just interesting story. I called them up one day and I'm like, hey, I want to get an amp for a recording project. And, you know, I'm doing this this show. I think it was when I was doing Guitar Mania maybe or might have been when the, the Ultimate Guitar Show started. I think it was before that. But so, you know, I, I work with these companies and... And my favorite story of all time. So this guy goes, is this Mark Seal? I'm like, yeah. And he's all, it's Tim McKee, man. I was a student of yours when I was 16 years old. He goes, yeah, I moved up to Petaluma. Blah, blah. So he became <laughs> the, one of the artist relation guys. And then my favorite part of that is, uh, you know, I, I, I send a, you know, I, I want to get this amp. And they gave me one of, it was an amp that they gave to Limp Biscuit for, to borrow in the studio for a record. And the guy sent it back when it was done. And and they accidentally copied me on an email, an internal email. And the guy's like, you know, the artist relations guy's like, hey, you know, you know, give, see, you know, tell him we'll throw in some tubes and a T-shirt and we'll give it to him for X price. And if he doesn't bite, then tell him we can do X, Y, or Z. And they added a couple extra, you know, things to, and he was just being a good, doing his job well. No, no disrespect. And, and so I respond like, yeah, I'll take all of that. <laughs> and I was just being funny. And sure enough, so I got this amp at like a ridiculous price and all these tubes and T-shirts. And they were they kind of laughed like, yeah, OK, you know, so now because they exposed exactly what they were willing to do. And they gave you they gave you an artist deal, in other words. Yeah. That's what it, I call it, that. And, and they wanted me to put it on the show because at the time, again, there was a bunch of people watching the show. And that's what those guys do is, you mm -hmm. know, obviously product placement's a big thing. So, so, you, so and they've been great every time I've ever needed anything with them. And they made you know, they make great amps. In fact, you and I used it. Remember when you were on the TV show? When you were on the Ultimate Guitar Show, I brought that Mesa Boogie Transatlantic amp down to the art gallery, which was my favorite episode I think we ever shot because I loved doing it in the- We in did the, it live. Yeah, in the art gallery. I remember. It, it was Ruth Mayer's art gallery. I haven't you, thought about and, that for, when was it? That was like 20 years ago. Uh, let's see, that would have been- Maybe 15 years ago. No, it was like probably 2009 maybe. I think it was about 11, maybe oh, 2008. Okay. I can't remember when I shot the because that was that was getting trying later to in cover the year. up for my, uh, uh, my my old age here my my lack is, of memory. Is this podcast? Is this a video or just audio? It's just audio. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say, because it would be funny, you could splice in a cut from that, because I got the video somewhere. If you ever want to see it, I'll send it to you. Dude, you played great on that thing, man. You were killing it. I'm always afraid to look at those old videos, but sure, I'll have a... (laughs) I'll I'll send you a copy. check it out. Thanks. Mm. Yeah, it was very cool. What did you need from Roland? So if you you have a sponsorship from Roland, it's pretty... uh, It's pretty... uh, I mean... How much stuff do those guys make besides a few amps? I mean, they have all this technical equipment and recording equipment and loopers and V yeah, drums. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, they got come everything, on. man. Roland has got to be the, one of the the forerunners of the whole modern uh, music uh, era. I mean, as far yeah, they as production do, they do a lot concerned. of great stuff. They do a lot of great stuff. For... What did you get? What did you get from Roland? Uh, gosh. Okay. Uh, every pedal board they've ever made, I think, you know, <laughs> no, I, I did, I did Sweetwater Gear Fest, Sweetwater out in, uh, in Indiana. I did the Gear Fest every year for the last seven, eight years. Right. Or maybe long. I mean, it's been a while. And I, I met up with their, one of their product specialists out there. And I think he does artist relations, a guy named Aaron, super good dude. And just, they're just cool. If you know, they saw that I was using their stuff. I, well, I, I did stuff with them 20 years ago. And then they saw that I was using one of their pedal boards on the road because it would, you know, fit between a couple of pairs of jeans and my suitcase. Are you saying just pedals or an actual pedal board that you attach? A pedal, to pedal like a GT, the GT series stuff, the actual the stuff pedal that's board. all in, you know, uh, several pedals in one uh, pedal. In other words, yeah. When you're when you're touring, doing clinics, you need something that's going to have everything in a small footprint. I couldn't take a pedal board easy, on the road, so easy, I take an one easy of those. Thing to set up, in other words, yeah. And so they sent me their newest GT one thousand, which is cool. It's pre-programmable. It's got a looper in it. Sure. I can run run the the T five through it if I'm doing both acoustic and electric right. stuff. And so I did that for a long time. And then uh, the fractal audio stuff is fantastic. I use Axe Effects now a lot for those types of dates where. I just want to take something simple, just a guitar and a pedal board plug directly into the PA. Okay. Um, and everything's sure. going to in-ears now. So I don't use, I mean, other than doing like my big coach house concert here, everything mm-hmm. else is typically on the road. I don't, I don't play. You know, the games. last time I spoke with you and I, and I, and we can talk about the coach house because I saw you play there one time and Micah Grant was the other guitarist in your yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, one of my former students, by the way. Um, yeah, good job. <laughs> he's a great player i mean hey, I, I almost started crying because it seemed like hey oh this guy's doing everything i i was hoping he would do you know and more you know so it's yeah. like yeah he became a very good musician he's just an excellent musician no hands down but uh when i spoke with you uh not long after that you were on the road you were traveling you were you were doing a, a some sort of a, a a tour of some kind can you talk a little bit about uh touring as mark seal i mean like yeah, well, everything I was doing for literally once I started the Taylor thing, it was every event that they do, not not literally every single event, but every style of event, meaning I'd be on the road, I would go out and we would do everything from Sweetwater to their little stadium thing for training sessions um, to I would do hosting NAM show, being on camera for oh, them I doing product it. releases. I would be doing consulting, you know, giving them, you know, any ideas what I had about guitars that we were using. Would you call that things. trade show kind of exposure? I mean, what would you call that? Yeah, it was just, it was so just. So you were doing PR it was, for it was companies. All, it, was, it was marketing. Really. It was just, okay. I, I, was, okay. I was the, I hate using the word talent, but the quote unquote talent in the mar- for marketing. I did literally, I think close to 500 or over 500 road shows in 48 states in the last 14 years. I was traveling 18, 20 weeks a year. I went to Amsterdam for them, went to France, went to England, um, just <laughs> everywhere. I've been to all of Canada. I mean, literally across entire Canada several times.
He's a good-looking guy. Plays one heck of a guitar. I wouldn't mind having him represent my uh, company selling uh, Fender guitars, Taylor guitars. That's Mark Seal on the guitar. This is John Heusenstamm. I'm the host of this show. It's called The Guitar Life. This is a Believe podcast. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe. Thanks. Um, it was just, a, it was such a weird whirlwind because that was just, I didn't see doing television. I didn't see being a clinician and it became all of those things. I, do, I was doing videos for them. I was doing artist relations for the worship side of their, their guitar players. So it just became this thing where I was just very utility. Like, look, I can play guitar pretty good and I, I'm not afraid to speak in front of an audience and mildly knowledgeable on the products and what was going on. I'm a kind of a tech guy, as I think, but you, know. you like it. Yeah, and I love it. I, I, I'm a, yeah. so ADD, John. I'm so ADD. I could not just go and do a tour and play the same songs every night. I couldn't do it to save my life, nor do I want to be on a tour bus with three or four other dudes. It's like, you know, this was all fly dates and hotels, so that was great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a family guy. I like to be home, so I'd go out for a week at a time, come home for a couple of days, kiss the kids, go back out and do it in cycles of you're spring selling. and fall. You're, you're selling product is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it was fun because I, I was the worst acoustic guitar player of all time. I wasn't and now, and now I, and now I'm And now I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the best, but I'm certainly not the worst anymore. There's probably a, a guy But you have those really that, nice guitars to enjoy. I mean, like yeah. a, a good Taylor guitar is a state-of-the-art acoustic guitar. So uh, yeah, uh, I remember some, I had uh, uh, one of Richie Sambora's old uh, Taylors that wandered into the guitar shop, you know. I yeah. grabbed it, you know. Nice. That was a nice guitar, yeah. Was course, it a Koa a guitar? Do you remember? Shop, pardon? Was it Koa that he had? Because I know he always played those Koa 12 uh, strings. You know, I, I I can't remember exactly what the wood was because it was stained gray. It was like a uh, all gray, the top, the back, the sides. I think wow. it was a, a flame maple, you know, a tiger stripe maple back and sides with some wow. sort of spruce, you know, top. No, okay. your best wood, ebony fretboard, and all that. But it was it was colored in such a way, you know that. Uh, I mean, I don't. That's what it was. It was a flame maple uh, guitar with a spruce top, and it used to belong to Richie Sambora. And one of my students ended up with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Most of my students grab my guitars. They sit there across the room from me, looking. Oh God, what is that you're playing? Yeah. I go well. It's, uh, it's Taylor that Richie Sambora used to have. Gradually, they eventually. Uh, con me out of it you know yeah that's what happens man but those are those are the stories too and those are the inspirations get these guitars that have some kind of cool mojo to them and you know it's it's a lot of fun so mark um you've got cds that are out right so um you go into the studio you, you you do some recording but there's more to it than that can you talk a little bit about some of the preparation that uh took place in order for you to actually produce Five albums. Yeah. <laughs> now that you know, sounds like compared to, you know, 30 albums by Fleetwood Mac. But five uh, albums is still a major accomplishment, you know? Yeah. With, with that, it was, I think, you know, people will ask me, students say, you know, when, when did you grow or how did you learn? And, and I've had three periods in my life where I really felt like I learned the instrument, you know, at, at a much deeper level. And, you know, one of them obviously was when I was at GIT and I spent a year or two years studying up there pretty heavily. And then when I got out of, out of there, when I started teaching and writing my first record, right, I started, I mean, I'd written the, the, the band stuff. I'm talking about my instrumental guitar stuff. I started reaching, started, started recording. And when you do a take, like even now, John, you know this, right? You go and you record 
And when you hit record in Logic or Pro Tools, every time you hit record or do an overdub, it says 001, 002. So, you know, it, it keeps track of what take it is. And my wife used to just trip out on me because I'd go in the studio at 9, 10 o'clock at night and I would go to do a guitar solo. And I'd play the same 30-second guitar solo. Literally, that had to have been 250 takes, right? I mean, just one up till 3 in the morning. And she'd come and she's like, they all sound the same. And I'd be like, no, I was being super hyper-perfectionist to, to the point of almost going sterile. I would listen to those and I would see like, I couldn't tell you the difference between 82, 125, 187 or 203. They all sounded identical, but there was something that didn't feel right when I was recording it. And I, so I go, oh, that wasn't right. So I, I don't hear what's wrong with it. But if, if you know, uh, John Petrucci from Dream Theater is listening to this, he's going to hear what's wrong with it. You know, and that kind of, and it was just, it was maddening. I hate recording like that. I, I hate, I love writing and I love the demos. I hate the master recording because I feel like it's going to get just picked apart. You know, you look at comments on forums. Oh, this guy sucks. His tone sucks. Oh, you know, everybody's, you know, everybody's like 99 thumbs up and you get that one thumbs down and all you can focus on is the one thumbs down. I think Eric Johnson and, is similar to, the, to what you're saying, though. He's a studio perfectionist and he'll go over something over and over until he's yeah. happy with it. So you don't yeah, don't feel like you're being too critical. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's his album. I'm even... just the opposite, you know. Yeah. I, I I like to do it once or twice, and I said, oh, I can live with that, you know. I, I'm pretty lackadaisical when it comes to recording, I guess. <laughs> kill, I would kill for that trait, dude. I love that. That's <laughs> well, I'm amazing. just not afraid and, of and criticism, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and they're, and they're and they're and they're better solos because of it, you know. Mine, mine, some of the stuff I did was quite perfect in a lot of ways as far as the technical aspect but the feeling's not there and I, you know, I regret some of that but they're still good songs and when I play them live now I play them like more like you're talking about I'll go out to the coach house I'll laugh and just have fun and play them and if they're close but they have some feeling to them I'm happy you know and it's 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 a, probably a maturity I just you didn't have as a, 20, <laughs> as a 25 year old right you know how to torture yourself <laughs> yeah so it's I'm listening not good. to your yeah you, you could have used a John Heusenstam lesson man in there somewhere you know one, I one, wish one. I had known you I wish I had known you when I was younger <laughs> I, usually I, teach, I could have uh, learned a lot well you know here's the story here's the ultimate recording story if you if you must you know learn something so uh Les Paul had his studio in his garage right and uh, there was no entranceway people had to climb up on a ladder and jump through a window to get into to record, right? And because uh, he had the whole garage door completely padded and blocked off to the street, right? Yeah. So he had very famous people coming in there to record, you know, like Bing Crosby, Andy Williams. Uh, um, and I think it was um, uh, Bing Crosby um, was recording a record at Les Paul's studio because he was the state-of-the-art you know, technician, he was inventing all that, you know, uh, recording uh, equipment as well, right? So um, they do a couple of takes, and Les Paul says, that's great, you know, that's that's good. Okay, on to the next song. And, and Bing Crosby, it was either him or Andy Williams, one of the two, I'm sorry, but said, wait a minute, I'm just getting warmed up. Um, you know, I get better and better and better as the uh, day goes on. And Les Paul goes, nah, 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 you were fresh. You were full of energy. You did great. It sounded fine to me. And they had this yeah. argument. And then Les Paul says, okay, I'm going to record you 25 times. Wow. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen with you, and we're going to decide which one is the best. So they did 25. But what Les Paul did was he took the first one, and he put it in at number 12. And so as they're listening to it, right, they're listening, and 12 comes up, 
you know, Bing Crosby says, aha, uh-huh, see, I told you, I'm getting better and better and better. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. gosh. So he that was, is... you know, the first one was the one, you know, so, you yeah. know, so there you go. That's like the Tommy Tedesco trick that my wife can't stand. And that is, Tommy used to talk about how he'd be in the in the room recording and and the guy in the so I'm, hey, you know, it, it sounds a little bassy. And he'd turn around to his amp and do nothing. Come back. Is that a little better? The guy, oh, much better. Thanks, Tommy. And it, it did nothing. He, and so, did, yeah. So my wife, to this day, I'm like, uh, yeah, Lord, that, that's cool. And she'd be like, are you Tommy Tedesco-ing me? <laughs> it's become a verb, you know. Uh-oh. So, yeah. So. I get it. Yeah, like uh, George Van Epps had a great big wooden knob that didn't do anything on his guitar. And yeah. when they... You know, the engineer would say, could you please turn it down? He would go like this, you know, so the guy could actually, you know, see that he was actually adjusting something, but it didn't do anything. It just it just left the guitar. Uh... <laughs> so psychosomatic. That's funny. Yeah, man. That's yeah, great story. totally psychosomatic. Yeah. So you do have five uh, CDs out. Can people uh, access this stuff on uh, iTunes or uh, yeah, what, Spotify? What are the, what's or... this? What what is this CD you're talking well, about? Well, I'm not. That? I just mean recording projects. <laughs> know, so you're kidding. talking about iTunes downloading, uh, streaming. Yeah, I think. Yeah. You know what I did? I, is I, I mean, a CD is a project where it all comes together. How about an album or? Geez, I like I'm, albums. I'm so better. old school. Old school. You know. Yeah, I I love albums for sure. But you know what I did was I was I was getting frustrated with with iTunes. I'm on iTunes, Spotify. I'm on all those, but I was getting kind of frustrated. I thought, you know everybody's stealing your music anyway, or you're getting, uh, you know, a, a dollar. Oops. I'm just out of my computer. Uh, you're getting, uh, you know, a fraction of a penny for every stream. You know, I, I used to get reasonable size royalty checks from iTunes when songs were being sold. So I actually made a, a YouTube channel called Mark seal music. No one knows it's out there. Like you go look, there's 40 something subscribers. I think I've never told anybody. I haven't put it on Facebook or any of the socials, just kind of putting it together right now. It's got a bunch of videos, uh, from the TV show days are on there. Some of the, the mm-hmm. videos well, are on there. Some great, I'm reading right now about some of the people that have been on your TV show. I'm going to read this out before we close out here. So, oh, okay. So go on. But yeah, if they want to go to, just go to Mark Seal Music on YouTube. Or actually, you know what? Actually, take it back. Go to markseal.com, M-A-R-C-S-E-A-L. So Mark with a C, dot com, markseal.com. And right there, you can hit a link that'll take you to that Mark Seal Music page. And there's just a ton of videos. I'm putting a bunch more up now. Cool. They're just, it's all guitar stuff. It's just silly and it's all free. So you can listen to my entire albums all for free and they're all cataloged. And I'm kind of like trying to circumvent Apple to Apple and Spotify and all those guys well, by making my stuff it's free. It's all just a giveaway. Yeah, I, yeah, I just real, figured the, the first guy that I met who was really annoyed about all of this was uh, Lee Rocker. You know, the yeah. bass player from the Stray Cats. Yeah. And we started talking about, you know, pirating and theft and stuff like that. He was livid because, you know, I mean, he's a professional musician that relies on royalties to make a living. And when all that yeah. stuff is being given away for free, it's like you just throw yeah. your hands up in despair and you go, what am I going to do? That's how I earn a living. I mean, it's all being given away. Yeah. So so you've had people on your uh, your TV show. Um Hey man, you've had Doyle Dykes, Jeff yeah. Baxter, Steve Morris, you've had Keith Wyatt. Now, Keith Wyatt, the Blasters. Now, Alvin uh, Taylor was uh, one of the original Blasters on guitar, right? Do you know the, the history? I know that- Alvin. I don't remember his last name, but yeah, he was he was one of the original. He was in there forever, so I know that Keith played with like the band. He was the guy, mm-hmm. and and then I know one of those guys. I think one of them passed away not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Right, the the, the singer. Um, yeah. 
So, I can't I remember know. his name. Anyway, so so your your TV show was a success, basically. You know, you had well, and those those were more shows too, like the Steve Morse thing. You know, we opened for Steve at the remember the Galaxy. We opened right. up for the Dregs. I think it was the Dixie Dregs, or was it the Dregs? Yeah, I think it was the Dixie Dregs. We opened up for and, um, you know, the the people. It's like we had you know who was cool on the show. Surprisingly, J- Jason Mraz was on my show. Yeah. That guy, best singer I've ever seen in my life, personally as a dude, just best singer I've ever sat across from in my life. That'd be an episode worth checking out. That guy was remarkable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so those are some of those people were people I did shows with. Some people were people that were on the albums, like uh, the guy from Creed. Kennedy. Oh, Mark. Mar- yeah, Miles Mark Tremonti and Michael Kennedy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Miles Kennedy and, and Mark Tremonti. Amazing guys. They were in a band called Alter Bridge now. And just, you know, Miles Kennedy plays with Slash all the time. Just super cool people. I've just been fortunate enough to run into along the way and have conversations about guitar with some were recorded. And, um, you know, it's good it's stuff, been just Mark. Way, way more of a blessing than I've, uh, and more deserved than I would ever have. You know, I look up to like you guys. So, <laughs> thanks. I can't hear you. Something's up. There you go. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. So, so you're not, you're married. You're, you're, you're earning a living with the guitar. Basically, the guitar is the thing that's providing for your family. you got two kids. Uh, what's your favorite thing to do with your family when you go out? What do you guys what do? You guys do? Uh, it's always tropical. It's always beaches or it's, you know, we like to go where it's warm. We don't do cold stuff. We're not snowboarders or skiers. We're, we go to beach. We'll go to, you know, Hawaii or the Dominican Republic or do that type of thing. But I will tell you my final thing, John. You don't, I don't know if you know okay. or not, but I, I spent the last year I just got super into flying airplanes, and last That's week right. I did. You a, told me that I did a six and a half hour check ride last Monday. I mean, six hours. I was there. The check ride itself was you know two hours of oral and an hour and a half of flying. Uh, but I passed my check. I'm a full on pilot, dude. I can go flying whenever I want. Now I'm going again on Thursday. It's that that is my thing. And as a, as a, a a grown adult now, I had no idea I could find something I loved. It feels like the first time I played Irvine Meadows in front of fifteen thousand people when I soloed. It was that same feeling, dude. It was awesome. So I'm huge into flying right Have now. Have you flied out to Catalina yet? Yeah, we've flown around that at like five hundred feet off the water, gone around there, and yeah, we've but that, been up. that and airport out there is pretty treacherous to land on. I mean, it's it's yeah, it runs a lot off of a bluff. You know, yeah, you get you got to be careful. I'm flying in small, slower planes, so it's not that not too challenging. But, Little I Cessnas, mean, uh, actually, a lot of Cherokees and Bonanzas, and and I'm flying a Cessna on Thursday. But I've been flying for you know my whole life. We had planes when I was a kid. I just never got my license. Never really got into it. Took 30 years off of going in a plane, and about eight years ago, I started flying with a friend of ours, and started taking weekend trips. Go out to Sedona, go to Vegas. So you're ready to, to do road trips now. You're ready to go play in uh, in a band that plays all over the world, so you can arrive I'm in ready. your own Cessna jet. I see what the whole thing is. I, I no, I, I'm ready is. to go wine tasting and pass a Robles for a three day weekend, dude. That's what I'm ready wine to do. Wine tasting. Oh. I'll take my acoustic guitar, sit oh, on a vineyard, God. have a couple glasses of wine, and call it good. Well, that's what we're having right now. Hey, listen, this has been really great, and I'm so glad you're uh, willing to share with us. You're oh, a great guy, and I'm really proud to know you because uh, you're an asset to the music industry and to all the people that you've taught, the guitar, thousands of guitar students, literally, right? I mean, come in. I, could you even— I could. Do, yeah, I can't even count. I was like, that's <laughs> crazy— and dude, honestly, if I can just say one thing, honestly, anybody that is listening, honestly, 
I am so freaking humbled by this whole experience and I genuinely don't feel worthy of it. And I, I feel lucky as I'll get out to know people like you and like the guys that we know, the, the Todd Robinsons and Mario Rossi's and Vernon, all these guys uh, that I've, I've got to know in this business that have just been mentors and people that I look up to and always kind of want to be like all you guys. It's just a trip. And I'm just grateful for it. So please know that's really my heart. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've had some you're, lucky You're, you're lucky lopping success. me into that group of people, but that's really yeah, great because yeah. I'm just a surfer kid from Orange County. So thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you and me both, man. I get you. <laughs> hey, great so. stuff. And uh, look forward to seeing you again and talking to you soon. Okay? You got it, man. Take care of yourself. Thank you for the time, Thanks John. for being on the show. I, I really loved it. All right, Rob. Good day. Take care of yourself. Thanks. Mark Seal today. I'm John Hoysenstein, your host. This is the Guitar Life. Mark Seal taking us out. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.